Welcome to Life Quest Liberty, live in-depth conversations with today's top writers, editors, and spiritual leaders concerning religious freedom around the world. On today's broadcast, we'll examine local and international factors that may be impacting your right to worship and obey God as your conscience dictates. I'm your Life Quest Liberty host, Charles Mills. Executive orders. They seem to be flying high these days. Should we rejoice or be concerned? Let's ask Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine, about one that has to do with free speech. Are there dangers hiding just out of sight? Lincoln, the time is yours. Yeah, let's talk about it. Executive orders, first of all. I studied American government in high school and college. First of all, there's the three branches of government, the executive and the legislative and the judicial. Mm -hmm. The government by the people meant that the laws are passed by Congress and that the executive is to act on those laws. Mm -hmm. But it seemed to me when I was studying American history that the executive proclamations or executive orders of the presidents no particular president, run a little counter to that because the executive is not set to set laws, it's to administer the laws that have already been passed. And in our day, there's a lot of debate about how much power a president has and precedent has been set over and over again for presidential initiative and so we've come to accept it. But I just wish the society at large would go and look back at the basic dynamic. I don't think executive orders are helpful in a democracy. They tend to be a little dictatorial, am I right? Right. That's where they're coming from. It's it's unilateral action by an administrator. Mm -hmm. And people are supposed to elect a president to administer the laws, not to make them. But anyhow, that's a personal comment based on history and, and a thought teaser for everybody. As far as free speech, and we're going to talk about an executive order on free speech, that's under some threat in the United States, not just right now, but I think particularly since 9-11. There have been some practical arguments why you need to restrict people a little bit. In World War II, there was the dictum that loose lips cost lives. You know, people keep quiet about something. And since we're ostensibly in a war footing, on a war footing, and we legally are, People forget. Permission was given after 9-11 for sort of an open-ended war situation, which I don't think is admirable, but in reality, certain powers are unveiled. And since then, there have been clear efforts to restrict people's speech. Most famously for me, and I even laugh about it on occasion, but it's a serious business. Under President Bush, he had to endure more than a few uh, things thrown at him, not just shoes in, in Baghdad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but he domestically, uh, yeah. at his inauguration, he, he gave up walking and got in the car and sped through because mm. there was some reaction. And so it, it offended a number of the handlers that they more and more started to restrict those that would speak out. Mm. And it got to the point where they would erect free speech zones mm. roped off where you could speak freely but they often were miles and miles away from where the, the motorcade went through. Yeah. There's a dark humor in it, but it's reminiscent of the worst despotisms yes. in, in the communist era where, you know, language was subverted and it was anything but free. Mm. You know, with that in mind, 
I think that needs to be kept in mind when we comment on what's proposed now. The president speaking, I, I think it was when he was speaking at the Conservative uh, Political Action Conference at the beginning of March, said that he intends to issue an executive order that will protect or demand that there is free speech on college campuses. Hmm. And the penalty that I don't think he's authorized to administer is if they don't enable free speech, the government monies will be withheld from the uh, wow. these institutions. Wow. Okay. In other words, if you want to say something against the government, you should be free to do that on a college campus, right? You're being sarcastic. Aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> What's really, I believe, been the uh, the impetus for this is a couple of ultra-conservative commentators yes. have been restricted on college campuses lately. Okay. <laughs> the president himself told a, a very interesting story to justify this proposal. He told about Hayden Williams on uh, the University of California, Berkeley campus, who was recruiting for the conservative group Talking Points USA when two men approached him and one of them punched Williams in the face. Oh, my. my. Uh, now, this had nothing to do officially with the university, mm -hmm. but it was on the campus. And the president said, talking to his conservative audience, that Williams, this is his quote, took a hard punch in the face for all of us. <laughs> okay. So... <laughs> Right. That's not a stretch to see that the, the burden is to allow or to empower conservative views on gotcha. campus, gotcha. Okay. which, of course, should be allowed. Yeah. But it's not good if, if a direct legal action is taken really to enable one particular viewpoint rather than, than a broad-based exchange of ideas that the universities are committed to. And uh, so... You know, we're back to the conundrum. Many times on religious liberty and civil liberties, you're faced with a conundrum. Yes. You want free speech, so do you force it by law? It's not usually amenable to that sort of encouragement. Yeah. And what I also believe is really behind this is a legal willingness to somehow turn back what people of faith, including myself, find problematic on university campuses that they're teaching evolution and, yeah. and cynicism toward religious faith and biblical absolutes, and that creationists want a leg in, want a chance to, to have their things said in the classes, and people of faith want their faith presented alongside what they see as secular religion. We have to understand that free speech is a two-edged sword here. I mean, what's good for one has to be good for the other, and each side forgets about that as they advocate for it. While there is some underlying problem that, that clearly conservatives and people of faith can be distressed about, to bounce back and to try the same tactics to restrict yes. the legal cynicism that's giving rise to this is not good. And in fact, one administrator on the campuses said this is pretty much you know, a solution without a problem, <laughs> I mean, that, it, that it's making a worse situation. Yep. Yep. It's, it's a solution in search of a problem, and I thought that was very good. <laughs> If this is happening, what is the problem, Lincoln? If that's not the problem as they, they're identifying it, what is the underlying problem here that causes someone to go up and punch someone in the face when they're, when they're talking well, not like they want I to talk? That relates more to intolerance, which yeah, is on okay. many, many levels, well, right. not okay. just on religious. Yeah. And again, here's the irony, that there are all sorts of laws and social uh, inhibitions against speaking prejudicially and, and bigoted behavior and so on. We need all of that. Yeah. But it hasn't solved the bigotry. It's just driven it underground, and it expresses itself different ways. Mm -hmm. I've got to be careful on this, but a comment about the Second Amendment. Mm -hmm. 
The reality is that with all the guns, you would hear from gun rights people that it creates a safer country. But in reality, it's an expression of violence, I think. It increases the possibility of violence once the gunplay starts. So a free speech dictate that's designed to encourage free speech, I think is going to actually like pour gasoline on on the the underlying problem of bigotry and narrow-mindedness and so on. have had freedom of speech in this country all along. It seems to me that the problem is not the absence of free speech. There's the absence of tolerance, as you mentioned. If we would be tolerant of people who are speaking in ways that we would not speech, then we wouldn't have this problem. Am I right? Right. I jokingly alluded to what I think got the conservative group that the president was talking to bothered. Ann Coulter got disinvited, as I understand, from a recent uh, campus address. Mm -hmm. Well... You know, that's the pot calling the kettle black. <laughs> yes. Even the supporters of, of Ann Coulter, I don't think, portray her as meek and mild. Yeah. Uh, she's a very polarizing figure. Yeah, I do think in this case, hands off is the better thing. But it seems that always when a nation is shaking on its foundations and the society is struggling a bit with issues, governments turn on the campuses. And the classic response is that they start shooting students and and imprisoning students and restricting their right to speak. This is sort of the dark other side to that. To demand free speech, which is coded language for talk about something differently, (laughs) is quite bizarre to me. Yeah, absolutely. But I am positive it will lead to less speech. It will lead to more bad religion. We want more religion or more religious discussion. But I I think this is going to demand a certain religious viewpoint be included, and it will bother certain people, as it should, because you don't want the government, the strong arm behind religious dialogue. You know, as I listen to you talk about this, Lincoln, a thought comes into my mind that free speech, even though we have it, does not necessarily mean that we have to use it every time we have an urge to say something. It might be that not only tolerance is needed, but also some kind of constraint might be needed in our society today. We don't don't have to say what's on our mind all the time. And I don't like that text being used generally, but you know, in Ecclesiastes, there is a time to speak, there is a time to be silent. And when we're witnessing for our faith, those people that really are serious about witnessing and rather than grandstanding know that you wait for the appropriate moment yeah you don't yeah. just you know spit it out and expect the person to be happy about your challenge to them yeah yeah 
Yes, true religion flourishes with a spirit of love and accommodation and understanding. And we'll see where this executive order, if it's issued, where it goes. But uh, it's, it's troubling, I think, from a basic governance point of view and from a, a point of religious liberty. How will this further true faith and religious freedom on campus? I'm afraid not at all. Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine, has been our guest today. Listener, I invite you to the website for Liberty Magazine. That's libertymagazine.org. That's easy to remember, libertymagazine.org. Listen to these programs, watch television programs, read the articles, subscribe to the magazine, read Lincoln's blogs, and get some ideas. Put some thoughts in your mind. I do this every time I go to that website. I get thoughts in my mind, and I'm going to say, I'm going to ask Lincoln about this on our next program. And that's what you can do, too. You can jot down your suggestions for these programs and for other things that the magazine can do for you. That's all at libertymagazine.org. Until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Lincoln Steed inviting you to rest in the freedom of God's love. Goodbye, everyone. If you'd like more information about LifeQuest Liberty, call 443-391-7258 or email us through our website at libertymagazine.org. Join us again next week at this same time as we examine more of the threats and challenges facing your religious freedom. May God keep the flames of liberty burning in your heart today. <laughs>